The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 13 College Football Betting Preview Thanksgiving Special. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Happy Thanksgiving, gamblers. We're thankful for you. Ready to dig into uh, some winners and then some turkey? You sent out a a message over company Slack. You said... uh... I was looking at a game between two universities against each other, and I was looking at their – I was supposed to be handicapping their college basketball, but I was handicapping their college football. So then I started going through the list of college basketball games to see which one it could have been. But, yeah, we're this is it. We've been waiting for this. I mean, you think of the, the Aussie footy. You think of the ping pong, the darts, all the shit we had to go through at the beginning of the pandemic, and now we have a weekend full of – everything i mean yeah mlb is come and gone but yeah we've got it all the football all the basketball it's all here yeah no it wasn't an actual college basketball game i had written down in my notes north carolina notre dame and i guess i've been doing college basketball week in north carolina triggered basketball to me so i just started taking notes of north carolina versus notre dame basketball and what that matchup would be like what am i doing with my life All right, we have a lot to get to, but before we get into some of the games, uh, some of the marquee games, and we'll get to Friday and and Saturday, the college football playoff rankings came out today. Bama 1, Notre Dame 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4, Texas A&M 5, Florida 6, Cincy 7, Northwestern 8, and then who cares? BYU down at 14. Sorry, BYU. Cincy, look, UNC beats Notre Dame this week. Bama wins out and beats Florida. Texas A&M might stay ahead of Cincy. I don't know. Because I was thinking, like, can Cincy get there? Do I want to take it just a fun flyer? And then the other thing is, is like, if Florida beats Bama, I think they would jump Texas A&M, even though Texas A&M beat Florida. There are a lot of interesting scenarios. What are, you, what are just your takeaways from the first college world playoff rankings? And is there, like, someone you would take a flyer on or, or some scenario that you're rooting for? I was actually, you know, now that I've stepped a couple hours away, you know, back from the initial rankings, I realized that I initially was pessimistic about Texas A&M making it at five, and I was optimistic about Cincinnati at seven. And my theory was that Cincinnati, you know, is, we'll talk about this, probably going to wax Temple this weekend. They have a week off if they want to schedule somebody, and if they don't, uh, there's still a, probably a Tulsa game out there where they can wax a team that's already in the college football playoff ranking uh, if they can wax them, maybe there's a scenario. But, you know, you're going to have to have the Pac-12 knock itself out. You know, Notre Dame take a couple losses or Clemson take another loss. Some spots are going to have to open up. So I don't know how it is that I feel pessimistic about a and 
I feel optimistic about Cincinnati. Yeah, that was my initial thought too. But it's tech. I mean, Texas A&M also could lose at Auburn. That's not out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, they'll be a favorite, but yeah, we won't get too deep into it. Um, I might just throw fifty bucks on like Cincy. What are they? Can you find seventy to one, seventy-five to one out there? Just for the fun of it, we'll talk more about that uh, as the season goes on. Every weekend, something's going to happen, and then the picture will open up and get a little clearer. In years past, we used to be able to predict what the quarterfinal was. The ACC championship was a quarterfinal. The SEC was a quarterfinal. There's no such thing anymore. Now we're scheduling games on the fly. You and I are trying to put this podcast together, and lo and behold, Utah and Washington are playing. There could be a cancellation tomorrow in a, in a you know a rebranding of a game like it's so wide open we can't even tell you if you beat team a you're going to face team b to get into the playoff we can't even say that because things are changing so fast yep all right let's get into our marquee games of the weekend it's another fabulous weekend of college football let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 13 All right, our first marquee game of the weekend. We're going to start in the Big 12, noon on ABC, noon Eastern and ABC. Iowa State is a a one-and-a-half point underdog at Texas over under 56-and-a-half. The sage in bloom is like perfume deep in the heart of Texas. This game will most likely decide who's going to play in – the Big 12 championship. I like Iowa State here. Look, Texas is doing some things better, mainly defending the run, which is will be a little important here. They shut down Hubbard. They shut down West Virginia's rushing attack. You know, we know about Osai. Overshone's playing better. Their safety play has been better. But the offense, and, you know, their rushing attack, too, has been better as well with Robinson. But their corners have been so bad. And... Ellinger just isn't playing that well. I mean, he's completing, what, 53% of his passes over the past three games. There's been some injuries at receiver. But you look – I mean, Iowa State, better offense, better defense. Uh, I have them ranked better in both phases. Where Texas has struggled this year, you know, defending pass efficiency, that's what Iowa State can really take advantage of. So I think they're going to be able to efficiently move the ball with our boy Brock Tober. For October in November, and uh, I think Iowa State has the better overall defense, and the Texas offense is just struggling, especially through the air. I like the clones here. I make them a favorite, so I'll gladly take the one-and-a-half points. What do you see here? Yeah, I agree. I make them uh, two-and-a-half-point favorites, so it's a really tight window. I expect the number of BetMGM that is minus one-and-a-half on Texas. I expect that to probably flip to the other side. By the time we get around to kick, you know, so trying to take a side on this one, I, I haven't actually laid any money on the side, but I did take a little bit on the total, and that was going on the over. Now, initially, I thought, you know, the weather's 25% chance rain, 10-mile-an-hour winds, and, you know, with their stadium orientation, it's going to blow sideline to sideline, so, you know, some special teams could get involved here. Uh, but I expect points. Uh, Texas is 12th in the nation in pace, their little tempo wrinkle thing that they came out with earlier this year. Uh, they're top 40 in pass explosiveness, and they, you know, they may be able to get something down the field. And, you know, beyond Ro- Robinson is averaging, you know, four yards after he's had contact. Uh, and so that's just a, a pretty – that's pretty standard for some of the workhorses in college football. And, you know, if you look at the strength of the Texas D, it's stopping the run. 
that's not what Iowa State's going to do. It's going to be a lot of Brock Purdy passing attempts, uh, and Purdy should have a pretty clean game. Texas is 107th in sack rate. Both teams are top 20 in finishing drives on offense. I expect points. I don't think it's going to be a whole deal greater than the post of 57, but that's definitely the number I'm buying over. I think it'll be a close game, but I trust the Iowa State offense a bit more and their passing defense as well. I think they're just a much better coverage team. So give me Purdy over Ellinger and the Iowa State defense and Matt Campbell as a dog here. I think Iowa State wins. This, this, they're playing very good football now. Defense is rolling, coming off a shutout of Kansas State, 45 nothing. So I think the Clones win and are we, get are to we the Big 12 title. Are we singing happy trails to Tom Herman after this? Can we, can we okay, cool, him out the door? Yes, because he finishes the year at Kansas State, so that's not going to do anything to save him. We are not in a point in our program where we can not play our best and expect to win. Um, it's, it's not going to happen. Let's move on to our second marquee game of the day, and this one is an exciting one. Uh, number two, Notre Dame is a five-and-a-half-point favorite at BetMGM at North Carolina. This game is on Friday afternoon, baby. Friday, 3.30 Eastern on ABC, over under 67-and-a-half. I'll tell you that I did play the over 66, if you follow me on the app. I make this about 70. I think Notre Dame is vulnerable down the field and you can attack them with explosive plays. It's something that Clemson like scratched the surface of, but they just didn't let DJ you throw it down the field. The times that he did, he had so much success, but they just kept trying to run Travis Etienne. By the way, why can't Clemson run the ball this year? But Notre Dame just stuffed the box, but I think they're vulnerable down the field. And that's, I mean, you want to talk about explosive offense. That's what UNC is. So I think they're going to hit some explosive plays here. I don't think they're going to get many stops. So I think this game's a shootout back and forth. I think North Carolina is going to have a shot to win it. I make the line four, maybe a little under four. This UNC offense is a top five offense in the country. Notre Dame's a top 10 offense in the country. The UNC defense is, there's so many holes. The defensive line is just dreadful too. So it's going to be tough for them to get stops, but I think they can keep up. And uh, waiting to see how high this line can get. Would love to get six or seven. If not, I might throw them in round robin. But I lean UNC. I've already played the over 66. I make it 70. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, over in North Carolina here for me. I haven't I haven't got a piece of the over yet. But, uh, you know, something I'm definitely I, – I don't see how you could take an under in this matchup. And, frankly, with Notre Dame, I think the victory – can I say that they're overrated from the victory against Clemson? I mean, it was on their home field and Clemson was missing – their most important pieces in the middle of the defense, their best defensive lineman was out in the first half. Uh, you know, they had hid what the playbook was going to be the entire season. So it took Venables a, a little while to get used to that. I know they beat Clemson. I know that's a big deal. You know, still, it was a quarterback change and the best players on defense were missing. I think when there's a, mat, a rematch between Notre Dame and Clemson, you know, I think it's going to go a different way. Notre Dame on defense ranks outside the top 70 in both explosive categories against the run and the pass. And North Carolina on offense is top 25 through the air and on the ground in explosiveness offensively. Uh, the secondary just has way too many tackles. I mean, safety Sean Crawford alone, he has nine missed tackles. Uh, both starting corners, Crawford and Kyle Hamilton, along with corner Nick McLeod, have been burned for 50-yard passing plays. 11 players on this team, on this defense, have been burned for 20-yard for passes, at least a minimum of 20-yard passes. Listen, Javante Williams is averaging 11 yards after catch 
Ian Book, their Notre Dame passing attack, they just can't keep up with this. They can't keep up with Sam Howell, what he's going to do. And that's the thing that worries me about taking North Carolina pregame, which I did, is that they like to fall behind and they like to play from behind. And I, you have to think that Notre Dame wants this to be a grind. At 103, uh, their rank is 103rd in seconds per play. Tempo is not very fast, and maybe they want to keep it that way as a grind on the ground against a North Carolina defense that is pretty suspect in the trench. But at the same time, if North Carolina gets down by two scores, it's time to go bombs away. And that's something, you know, Brian Kelly came out in his presser on Monday and immediately started talking about the glance route, the glance route, the double RPO that Sam Howell runs in the glance route. He was worried about it the second he rolled out of bed on Monday morning and didn't even have his coffee. So Notre Dame is 19th in line yards. UNCD is 110th. You know, the Irish can control the trench. But like I said, if, if UNC gets down, they're just going to go apeshit with bombs over 25 yards. I think North Carolina keeps it within the number. I think they have a very good chance of upsetting Notre Dame. I think splitting a unit up in between playing it pregame and then playing it live is a wise decision, especially if you want to get over seven. I absolutely think this is upset watch here. And I don't mind that because I don't really feel like the ACC should get two teams into the playoff. I would prefer that it was spread out a little bit. If you get Notre Dame a loss here, then them or Clemson are going to have to have two losses and neither of them will make the playoff. So we'll see how that plays out. But I do like North Carolina a bit here. Yeah, North Carolina has to get the book and sack him a couple times, maybe force a turn. That's how they're going to have to get a stop. They're decent at getting the quarterback, but they get no push. They're outside the top 100 in basically every metric. Uh, they're just going to get shoved around. You can just run right down their throat. But that's how they're going to have to get a stop. I'll be on UNC in some form or fashion, and I'm already on the over. All right, let's move on to our third marquee game of the day, and let's go to the Pac-12 Let's talk a little Oregon state rivalry between the Ducks and the Beavers. Last year, Oregon won this game 24-10. to 10. Well, that's right around where the spread is this week. Oregon is at BetMGM a 13.5-point favorite, over under 63-and-a-half. Uh, I'll tell you, I took some Oregon State plus 14. I think you might disagree with that on the number, but a lot of this was just – my eye test and I've been watching Oregon and some the advanced metrics also agree with me and it makes sense or all of Oregon's best players in the secondary opted out like very good excellent defensive players that will play at the next level they all opted out and the defense has been awful awful every time I watch them yeah they they won 35-14 against Stanford Stanford's quarterback and best receiver was ruled out before the game Stanford doesn't have a good offense. But Washington State put up 29 against them. Last week, UCLA put up 35. How many guys did UCLA have out? They almost beat Oregon. This defense is not good, no matter where you look. I think that they're close to outside the top 100 in a lot of statistics. The Oregon State defense also isn't very good. I'll throw that out there. And The Oregon offense has been good. But I think Oregon State will be able to move the ball. I've downgraded the Oregon defense significantly, so I see a tad bit of value with Oregon State and the Beavers. Hopefully Jefferson can run wild. Yeah, I like the Beavers here. This Oregon State, this Oregon defense is very suspect. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, I make the game 15, but I don't. I think you just throw that out with Oregon games right now. I think anybody who's anybody is going to be able to get the ball up and down the field against Oregon right now. And it's funny when you look at the, the matchup matrix the, that, we, that we publish out with our articles and stuff, 
<laughs> each offense has an advantage over almost every single stat category over the opposing defense in this game. So I don't see either offense being stopped. Each team ranks top six in rushing success rate. Uh, defensive rush success rate is 119th of Oregon State and 81st for Oregon. Jamar Jefferson for Oregon State is averaging four yards a carry after contact. He is a stud. He is all he, he is gained. He's the backbone of that offense. And, you know, they really should be utilizing him more in standard downs, passing downs. Oregon's 93rd in tackling. You really should be using Jamar Jefferson in this game when Oregon is 93rd in tackling. On the other side with Oregon, Tyler Show's passing attack is 13th in success rate uh, and in explosiveness. Oregon State has, in, has been giving up chunks through the air. Uh, they rank outside the top 100 in almost every single rushing category from line yards to power success. Uh, you know, the Beavers rank 116th in sack rate, so that tells you that Tyler Show is going to be able to go up and down the field, have no pressure whatsoever. And both teams are top 25 in offensive finishing drives, so all of this leads me to I should be taking it over. As a matter of fact, I think that's just a rule of thumb with Oregon. You know, wake up, get out of bed, and bet Oregon overs. Uh, that was something I bought out of. Last week against UCLA, I got a little scared that, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson wasn't going to be playing. Didn't matter. We still got into the 70s. I think the over could also be helped by some sloppy special teams play. Oregon is 101st in the nation. Uh, Oregon State is 76th. So we'll see how this plays out. But I, I don't see a path for either team having a defensive stop to decide this game. Yeah, the one thing Oregon – you speak your major – the one thing Oregon has done well this year is limit pass explosiveness. And that's – that's just not part of Oregon State's game. Right. They run the ball, and they have short passes, and they've been successful doing both of that. So, yeah, it's a very favorable matchup for both offenses. I would, I agree with you. I, I'm taking the 14 because I think Oregon State – I think Oregon's defense is just very bad and worse than the market is assuming here, and uh, I, I would agree with you on the over. All right, let's get to the game. A lot of the USCC folk have probably been waiting for – uh, we got to get to the Iron Bowl. This is on 330 Eastern on CBS, SEC country. You no longer have to suffer through Nevada Mountain West matchup with San Diego State in your precious 330 Eastern slot on CBS. Uh, we have the Iron Bowl here. What comes after Brocktober? November, baby. Let's go, War Eagles. Alabama. At BetMGM is a 25-point favorite. Line has jumped over 24. Some questions about Auburn here that I think you'll get into on who could potentially be out. Over-under has jumped up to 62.5. Remember last year, Auburn won this game 48-45, so there's some revenge in the air for Alabama. Alabama did not get a chance to get their revenge over LSU, so maybe they take out some of that anger that they wanted to get out on Auburn, who they also lost to last year. Alabama's offense has been rolling. The defense has some holes. Can Auburn take advantage? I'm not sure. We saw last year, last week we faded Auburn against Tennessee. Auburn did get the cover. They won 30-17, to 17, but Tennessee outplayed them. Tennessee had 464 yards. Auburn had 385. Tennessee 6.3 yards per play. Auburn six yards per play. Do you know what that means? That means that Auburn, who could have been 0-5 to start the year and really could have easily lost that game to Tennessee, has won dominant points all year, and that was against LSU. And we've seen LSU lay some eggs this year, and they're obviously not a great team. So if Bama wants to 
name this and get their revenge, I'm thinking that they might be able to because this Auburn secondary, look, they've been good at keeping things in front of them. But, no, I don't think anyone is really going to stop Alabama explosiveness. And these corners, these young corners can't stick with Alabama's receivers in space here. Alabama's offensive line should also dominate. So I'm starting to look at Alabama here. Kind of sad I missed under 24, but what do you see here? Yeah, I took Alabama early in the week. It was uh, something that was injury-related plus just good old-fashioned Alabama ass-whooping related. On a higher level, before we dive into this game, I'm not positive who's going to expose Alabama's defense on the ground. Uh, They have issues and stuff rate, power success, line yards on defense. The way Florida runs their offense, the way what I'm seeing out of Ohio State in their running game, and then whatever's happened to Clemson in the rushing game, I don't know who's beating Alabama. That's a story for another day, but this is the team that should be the favorite for the national championship. As far as this game goes, the number is inflated, yes, but Auburn's going to be without both their offensive tackles. They're both injured. They got injured against Tennessee. Tank Bigsby. Injured. Couldn't finish the Tennessee game. He's questionable. The two offensive tackles, the right tackle and, and Bo Nix's blindside tackle, everything that's come out of Mal's on Monday, Tuesday, is that don't expect those tackles to play. We'll be leaning on Austin Troxwell, Troxel. Uh, we expect Trox to get the play at tackle, and then uh, Juco transfer Brendan Coffee, and everything's going to be fine because it's a next man up mentality. You may have that mentality, Malzahn, but if you look at the PFF grades for rush blocking and, and, and pass blocking, it doesn't say that those are who your starters are, not even close. So it's a huge loss for Auburn to lose both their tackles. And if you, you know, throw on Tank Bigsby out of this, he'd be the biggest loss of all in this game because he's one of the best power runners in college football. Of his 527 rushing yards this season, 357 have come after contact. He just gets revved up once he gets touched. Uh, he's been responsible for 35 first downs on the team. I mean, even assuming full health by Auburn, just assume everybody's healthy. The tackles, take Bigsby. Auburn has to deal with Najee Harris. They have to deal with Najee Harris. Auburn's 118th in power success and 116th in stuff rate on defense. And going against Alabama's offensive line that is top 15 in every single category. Let's just assume that the offensive line protects Bo Nix. Bo Nix season in full effect. Bama is now sixth in the nation in pass coverage. That is something we haven't had in previous years. Previous years, you could take advantage of them, of their injuries, of their youth, of their inexperience. We talk about Oregon being inexperienced in the secondary. That's how we were talking about Alabama for a couple of years, and we automatically wrote them off and said, we're not putting money on Alabama to win the national championship because they can't defend the explosive pass. That's changed. Alabama now is one of the best coverage teams in the nation. That's bad news for everybody else in college football. I think this game could be exceptionally ugly. Uh, I took Alabama minus 24 earlier in the week. Yeah, it's way above my projected of 20 and a half, but consider that Auburn might be out with their offensive tackles and Tank Bigsby. This one was an easy play. Just lay it, let it go. Maybe ETN. That might be the only one. Um, but, I mean, Clemson has some issues, which we'll we'll talk about uh, at some point over the next two weeks. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you have Trevor Lawrence back in ETN, maybe he can expose some of Bama's rush defense problems. And I also don't think Ohio State, who's laying 28 this week, their secondary is not good enough. Uh, they're not going to get enough stops. We talked about it on the pod. I said, look, the three most important positions, their single high safety hooker, he's not been playing well. Wade and Banks are not locked down corners on the outside. If you don't have that, 
this Ohio State defense is not going to get stops against the Bamas, the Clemsons of the world to win a national title. You agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't mean to get some of the Northwestern alum all riled up and excited, but Northwestern on their best defensive day can shut down Ohio State. And I'm not saying they can put points up against them. I've seen some weird shit happen this year. But listen, I project Northwestern to be 18, 19 point dog to Ohio State in that Big Ten championship game, but that's a live dog. All right. So, yeah, we agree there. It's probably Bama and, and, and the over. The over is going to be tough because you're going to need Bo Nix to do his part. And you just don't know if Pete Goulding and Nick Saban, how far they're Will going to go. Will you, though? Know? Will Auburn not, uh, Bama not put up 63 again this week? <laughs> I just see this is what happened last week. I thought Kentucky could stop explosive plays. They couldn't. Uh, Auburn definitely cannot stop anything down in the trench. I, I think Nick Saban loves getting uh, coordinators and coaches fired at Auburn. So we'll, we'll see. I, listen, Saban's in scorched earth mode. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's we haven't won the national championship. We haven't been mentioned for this. We get passed over for this. Kirby's beating me in recruiting. Saban is in a different mode these days. The older he gets, the grouchier he gets, the more he's uh, he's pissed off all the time. It's usually Steve takes his foot off the gas, and you can you can get Bama, and you can fade them in some of these spots uh, as you know thirty thirty five point favorites. But this year, I mean, Missouri covered in the first week against them when he took the foot off the gas. And then he covered against A&M. Ole Miss hung tight, hung tight, but easy cover against Georgia, cover against Tennessee, shut out Mississippi State, 41 nothing, and then blow out Kentucky. Yeah, you're right. Scorched earth time mm-hmm. with uh, Mr. Saban. Everybody's got such a high expectation for what our team should be. I, and it really sort of, if you want to know the truth about it, pisses me off when I talk to people that have this expectation, like they're disappointed in the way we played. That's frustrating. You want to talk about something that's frustrating? That's frustrating. All right, before we get into the best of the rest, I did want to remind everyone that it's the holiday season, if you didn't know. And it's officially Wednesday, which is officially college basketball season. We'll eventually be having college basketball podcasts here. But since it is the holiday season, we also have Cinnamon rims on our drinks. Great Lakes Christmas Ale has some in the fridge right now. We've got bowl games on the horizon. We've got college basketball starting up, as I said, and we've got the Action Network offering its best price of the year on pro subscription. A pro subscription unlocks the best version of the best gambling app in the world. Go to actionnetwork.com to become an Action Network pro subscriber. 50% off for $49.99. Receive a full year of access to our best-in-class content, including college football projections powered by myself and Colin Wilson. Pro Systems picks, fantasy rankings from Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Uh, Just a ton of stuff. Uh, I'll also have college basketball projections up there eventually as well. And even if you're already a pro subscriber, just give one as a gift. Find a degenerate friend who sucks at betting and help them out. Maybe someone who's still betting Big Ten unders. Ten first half unders like ourselves. Uh, either way, don't wait. Half off pricing won't last. So go to actionnetwork.com to get your pro subscription today. All right, let's get into best of the rest. Let's start on Friday. Let's let's talk Conference USA and check in on both of our friends. Let's first let's check in first with UTSA. Meet me. Meet me. They at BetMGM are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home against North Texas. UTSA, six-and-four. It's a real team. Thoughts on this game? 
Yeah, we love Sincere McCormick. We know how great, how explosive he is. But it's funny, is the game that he didn't play and they still ran up the score against UTEP. This is senior day for UTSA, uh, which is kind of funny because all of those seniors are allowed to come back next year. So there's 23 players on the squad. We'll see if they come back next year, but they're still treating it as a senior day. North Texas finally got to play after numerous COVID cancellations. They were a little rusty. They fell to Rice 10-0, to and then they won the game 27-17. to I think what's interesting about North Texas is a stat that kind of ran by me. There's 76 in the score differential in the first quarters of North Texas games this season. Their opponents have scored 76 points, and they've scored 24. You take out that Houston Baptist game where North Texas got up 14-0, to North Texas has been outscored 76-10 to in the first quarter. There is a serious issue with North Texas starting in games. Now, luckily, you're listening to a gambling podcast, and we like to have gambling deliverables. So here it is. You can take North Texas in this game, but you're going to get a better number after 15 minutes of play. This team has lost 76-10 to in the first quarter. Uh, probably a good time to buy in on them, get a better number than what's being offered out there. Both teams are outside the top 100 in tackling. Uh, North Texas has pass explosiveness mismatch here. Sincere McCormick gets a, a, a North Texas D that is 73rd against rushing explosiveness. So both teams are going to be able to get theirs in this game. North Texas is going to generate a pass rush. I think that's going to be a difference in the game. They do have a sack rate of 28th per football outsiders. So I'm looking for North Texas live here, particularly after the first half. I'm sorry, after the first quarter when they've just been getting beat like a drum. I think it's a great time to take North Texas, who is alive. Um, you know, they, they are very much uh, in this to win the division. It's all that they could talk about. So I do like North Texas here, but I would be cautious about a pregame number on them. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Uh, and we better hear from our friends, our Minor Nation friend, who we haven't heard from in a while. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. UTEP is ooh, an 11 and a half point dog at Rice, over under 44 and a half. And how's that game sniff that? Do you have any thoughts there? Well, Rice to get out to a lead against North Texas. Rice is, you know, getting better on offense. Uh, considering, you know, the head coach came as the offensive coordinator from Stanford. It was a, we want to pound you in the face and grind the ball. They're actually starting to get points up on the board. I just don't think I could take 11 and a half, considering what UTEP plays as a pace, one of the slowest in the nation. That makes that 11 and a half points extremely valuable for the underdog. All right, moving on to our independent friends. We already talked Notre Dame, UNC. We have to check in with our Liberty friends. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Liberty is a 36.5-point favorite at BetMGM over under 56.5. This game's on Friday at noon on uh, ESPN3. UMass stinks. I can't find anything to do well. They're D-line. They have a couple players on their defensive line that have made some plays. That's it. That's literally all I can say nice about UMass. Try to find something that's good about them. I think your chart shows that they have some rush explosiveness. That's about it. Liberty, on the other hand, is now 8-1 and one because they lost to NC State. The dream. The dreams of a college football playoff appearance. 
the outside dreams, but they're, they were still dreams, is over uh, for Hugh Freeze and company. Do they come out of here and lay the wood against UMass or on a short week after that disappointing loss? Do they come out a little flat? Um, what do you see here? You know, how about I get my handicap and then I see if you're going to take a UMass team total under. So, you know, once I got some eyeballs on UMass against Florida Atlantic, which is very important because JV and Posey is the new quarterback for Florida Atlantic. They're running a zone read. They're, they want him to get loose and, and have explosive plays. And amazingly enough, UMass was able to shut – a lot of that down. Now, Posey did get his yards, and he did have his explosive plays, but for the most part, they dominated the trench in that game. And, you know, I, I just couldn't believe the push that I was seeing out of, out of UMass. So, sure enough, you go to the advanced box score, 27 of 38 rushing attempts by Florida Atlantic were stuffed. 71%. Nor- UMass stuffed FAU 71% of rushing attempts. The national average is 30. UMass more than doubled that. So, Maybe it's just easy to stuff the Florida Atlantic rush, but that is a pretty dynamic dual threat quarterback that they had running back there that is capable of busting a 70-yarder at any time. If you look over on the offensive side of the ball, that's where we get back to good old-fashioned UMass football. We talk about available yards and how the national average, you know, 60% 60 is really great. Alabama gets at least that. Against Ole Miss, Alabama had 90%. Getting anything like over 40% of your available yards, that's a good day. UMass gained 12% of available yards against FAU. I didn't think that was actually possible. The national average is 44%. UMass got 12%. So the question with this game is, can the UMass defense have success that they had against J.B. Posey and Florida Atlantic? Can they translate that into Malik Willis and Liberty and the zonery that they run? Now, Malik Willis is coming off of a three-interception game, uh, you know, just 44 rushing yards for him against NC State who Hugh Freeze went on to say was, you know, the healthiest they've been all season, toughest, most athletic defense we've faced all season. UMass is 113th in pass coverage. I don't think Malik Willis is going to have another three-interception day. I'm not sure he could tear UMass up on the ground after what I saw at FAU and JVN Posey. Now, not to say that, you know, Liberty is at the same level of FAU. I'm just saying that UMass is showing signs of life in the defensive trench eight in the nation and stuff rate. Am I reading that correctly? The Minutemen are actually playing pretty well down low. Liberty will have plenty of success through the air, but will they have a letdown, like you said, after being undefeated? For me, I think I prefer the under based on UMass's offense and their pace of play. We don't know if there's going to be a hangover, if Hugh Freeze has got his mind on uh, other jobs or other things going on outside the field. Uh, I'm not sure – where we are with letdown mode with Liberty, but I can guarantee you that UMass is going to have a hell of a time getting a point on the board. UMass, when I was watching that game, I was really impressed with their defensive line. Really good. They made a lot of a lot of plays. That's like the one thing that just stuck out. The only positive thing that stuck out for UMass. Me, the one thing that worries with me with with Liberty here is is their special teams, like blocked punts, blocked field goals. UMass had a blocked punt for a safety against FAU. Liberty also had that blocked field goal for Vatek that would have cost them the game, but there was a timeout. So their special teams have been shaky. So maybe that's how UMass can score. And then, you know, you get a, a garbage touchdown. Maybe I'll play it. But I, I'm not as confident as I was against FAU. Is this the last UMass game? I'm, I'm sure they're always available to schedule against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. BYU is probably going to play them. Any, any team, any time, anywhere, they're going to play UMass. Didn't they? Yeah, BYU did play UMass last year too. We just want you to know, after we were ranked 14th, that we're not ducking anybody. 
we just want you to know after we were ranked 14th that we're not ducking anybody. That's BYU. BYU did play UMass last year. They didn't cover those scumbags. I had them. That was when um, we, we took an under, right? I believe, I believe I took an under because I was convinced that BYU would have the fourth-string quarterback in the second quarter, which they did. Yeah. It went over. How did like we were on, we were on Mitt Romney's, like, eighth kid in that game. Uh, I was 49 nothing at the half, and then you yeah. scored 24 <laughs> points in the second half. Good God. All right. Oh, fuck unders. All right, let's move on to Saturday and hit the ACC. We have a few games that are still on the board as of now. We talked about UNC, Syracuse catching 14 and a half at home against NC State. It's a dumpster fire. Duke, Georgia Tech, that game's a pick at Georgia Tech. UVA, a nine-point favorite at Florida State. I don't know when rock bottom comes for Florida State. The game that... I want to talk about here because we haven't got to talk about Clemson in a while is Pitt at Clemson at BetMGM right now. Pitt is a 24 point underdog over under 55 and a half. I can't figure out Pitt. Yeah. I, I mean, they have a bunch of starters out. They beat Vautech. I, I don't know. I can't figure them out. Um, so I don't even try. But this Clemson, Dabo is still talking shit on Florida State. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know where Clemson stands here. They haven't played since November 7th, so it's been three weeks. Um, and you look at some of their advanced metrics, there's some concerns with Clemson's rush attack um, with Travis Etienne, who's supposed to be the best running back um, in college football, and some concern on defense. Um Pitt grades out elite defensively, but then some days has stinkers. Some days look great. Their offense isn't very good. Uh, well, I make sense of this mess. It is a mess. I think it's funny how Dabo has turned like full heel. Like he is now the bad guy in the college football world, along with uh, Dan Mullen. They've both done, you know, complete stab in the backs, uh, you know, Seth Rollins shield type WWE shit. And now we think Saban's a good guy. It's quite interesting how college football has worked this year. As far as this game goes, yeah, Pitt won this game in 2016, but Dabo made the statement in his presser that it's a completely different team from an offensive perspective. They're running 10 and 11 personnel. It's different than what beat them in 2016. And I think it's interesting that Pitt has scored in their last two games uh, over 40 points both times. The issue with the Florida State game was Florida State gave them a whole bunch of turnovers. So that's what happens when you have a whole bunch of turnovers and bad field position. Teams are going to put 40 up on you. But what Pitt was able to do last weekend – you know, with Kenny Pickett throwing for over, you know, throwing 50 times, 400 yards, and a whole bunch of TDs. Not really the the Pitt team that I, I'm used to, you know, handicapping. Uh, you know, so Pitt is known defensively for leading the nation in tackles for loss. That's something that the Clemson offensive line is going to have to deal with. They're first in the nation in defensive havoc. They're fourth in sack rate. They're 16th in defensive finishing drives. They put 47 on the board against Virginia Tech offensively last week. And like I said, you know, Kenny Pickett is uh, – you know, not only is he throwing out of his mind, they tacked on three additional rushing TDs last last week. So, uh, you know, and there was only a single turnover by Virginia Tech. When we talk about Florida State handling the ball game, Virginia Tech only had one turnover and it resulted in three points. Amazingly enough, Clemson has not played since the Notre Dame game, which now feels like a year ago. Dabo stressed in his, in his presser that the tempo is what bothers him about Pitt which is crazy because Pitt is 61st in tempo, but he's claiming that this is one of the faster teams that he's faced this year. 
Uh, I think that is something maybe to keep your eyes on, uh, especially with, you know, if he considers them to be fast, Clemson's actually 35th in seconds per play. So they're faster. I think the thing that came down to it for me is that Skowski is not in this week's depth chart. Neither was wide receiver Frank Latson. They're still struggling with injuries, especially in the linebacker unit. And if Kenny Pickett's going to throw 50 times a game and he's going to throw for 400 yards, then they're going to pick on that linebacker core, just like Notre Dame did, just like Ian Book did. Skowski's not there. He is their best pass coverage defender. I know he's a linebacker, but he is graded as the best pass coverage player on the Clemson defense. I think Pitt's going to cover this. I've got them, at, you know, power rated at 17. It, it, it just checks all the boxes. The Pitt offense is going to be able to get things done. The Pitt defense is going to be able to get some stops. Clemson's still got some injuries on defense. Trevor Lawrence is going to come back. Travis Etienne needs to get, you know, back in line with the rushing game. I don't know what's going on with Clemson against explosive plays. Like, I'm not saying Pitt's going to be able to expose that, but Clemson is 96th against rush explosiveness, and they're 89th against pass explosiveness. Like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what's going on with that defense whatsoever. You would think Venables would have had that figured out by now. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things for Clemson to work on here. They're not a perfect team. And I don't think they should be spotting 24 points here. I think they should be spotting more like 17. All right, fair enough. Maybe I'll join you because I can't figure out Pitt. All right, let's move on to the Big Ten. We had Minnesota, Wisconsin canceled. Wisconsin's officially eliminated from contention in the Big Ten because they won't play enough games. They can't get to the Big Ten title game. Let me ask you a question before we get to some of these games. Do we have to play Michigan State if it gets to 14? Yes. Unbelievable. Michigan I'm just going to stop. Should I just stop? I'll at stop. home against Northwestern, over <laughs> under 41 and a half. Um, Look at Michigan State's defense. Their defense is not terrible. I mean, they can hang defensively. They, they have it in the defensive numbers to keep it a low-scoring game, which make, it's not that they can score enough to keep up with the 14. It's that their defense can. Yeah. Penn State, Michigan before. Yeah, I mean, any, can you? people are going to ask about it. What an ugly game. 0-5 Penn State plus 2.5 at Michigan. Over under 58 and a half. If you gun to your head and you had to bet it, where do you bet it? People are still watching these two teams. Pull the trigger. I think, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Let, let's just spin a bottle and see what it lands on. I mean, at least Penn State is still trying. They're terrible, but at least they're still trying. I mean, Sean Clifford's going to come in and give up four turnovers, right? The Michigan secondary is going to get torched. Here's the script for the game. And then it's probably going to come down to James Franklin fucking up a PAT or a two-point conversion because he doesn't. He can't read a chart. And, and Bodog Jim... Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Bodog Jim, who doesn't associate with gamblers, is going to screw it up because he doesn't know how to call a game. He doesn't know how to coach a quarterback. He doesn't know how to call a game. So that's how it's going to end up. I, you know, gun to the head, I'd take Penn State. Here's an interesting game. Ohio State, Illinois, because I can't figure – the line move just – it just this just confuses me. Ohio State, maybe you can explain. Ohio State at Ben is a twenty-eight point favorite at Illinois. Uh, we saw Ohio State hold on. Offenses look great. Uh, defense has issues in the secondary. Illinois, meanwhile, put up forty-one points somehow at Nebraska. Uh, rock bottom, Husker Nation. Rock bottom. Four hundred ninety total yards for Illinois. It's six point four yards per play. I don't know where the Peters came back, but I where the fuck did that come from? Right. So Ohio State's laying 28. The over-under is ticked up to 70 and a half. So maybe now we're supposed to assume this Illinois offense is electric. Because here's the thing. I've said this before. Lovey Smith's a dinosaur. He runs a basic 4-3, cover two. If you could play any spread 
with a competent quarterback and talent on the outside, what Ohio State does, you're going to score at will. Ohio State should score at will in this game. And then to normally I would be like, all right, if Ohio State's playing a team that they can score at will on probably every possession, you know, without fluky turnovers, then maybe I'll look over because I know Ohio State has issues in their secondary. But Illinois is not the team, the passing team, one of the worst passing teams in the, in the nation to expose that. And you can't really run on Ohio State. So where is – are we supposed to just assume Illinois is now an offensive juggernaut after last week and Peter's back? Because if not, I'm like, how is this getting to 70? Because Ohio State, while I'm not a fan of their secondary, but that's not really something Illinois can expose, right? No. No, they're 109th in passing success rate. I understand COVID has really taken a toll on this Illinois team. Do we know the full strength of them? No, but what is the ceiling for Illinois football? <laughs> we don't really know on both sides of the ball. I will tell you this. From a market-watching perspective, this line reeks. It has dipped below 28 in a couple spots. It shouldn't. Uh, there should be enough support for Ohio State in the market. There is not. Uh, there is some strong money out there backing Illinois. Now, I look at their advanced stats, and I'm not sure how much I can trust them because of how much COVID's been around, right? We talked about how terrible they've they had, they had four different quarterbacks. Yeah, four different quarterbacks. The defensive line was decimated, and, the, and still somehow they rank 14th per PFF in, in, in grading and tackling. Uh, but their success rate on defense against the rush and the pass is outside the top 110. Absolutely terrible. Their passing success rate has been terrible. They have no explosiveness in their pass game. They do have a little bit of ground explosiveness on their offense, but that's something that Ohio State's been able to stop. Uh, I, I don't see the advantage. The advantage I see is special teams. Ohio State's bottom 15 team in the nation in special teams. Is that enough to get this spread over? I don't know. I can tell you right now, even though I haven't figured out as we're recording this podcast, something in this line stinks. The way that it's moving and, and where the money and the, the dollars and the tickets and everything are, something's up. And I, I keep going back to Illinois, pulling that fourth quarter shit off against Michigan State, right? I mean, this team just shows up out of nowhere, lets themselves in their house, eats your food, drinks your shit, sleeps in your bed, and then they leave and, and you don't have any tickets to cash. I, I've seen Illinois do this before. Yeah, bizarre line. I mean, I don't, I don't – this is telling me that Illinois is going to throw – this line is going gonna, is gonna to throw and score on Ohio State. Yep. And I get that you could do that. Ohio State's, what, outside the top 90 in passing success? It's, be, it's been bad. Um, and they're giving up explosive passing plays. But it's just like that's uh, – <laughs> Illinois does none of that. But maybe now they do with Peters and Neraldi. I just don't see it. But uh, you're right. It's – especially with the over-under ticking up too. Um, yep. NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. 
And now, back to the show. Such a one other game in the Big 12. You got to take care of my people in Morgantown and West Virginia. Go ears. Country roads. Take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia. West Virginia is hosting Oklahoma, catching 11 over under 54. Four and a half. Oklahoma's playing some good football lately. Lincoln Riley has figured some things out. Defense is playing better. West Virginia live dog here, or is Oklahoma going to keep it rolling? Well, it was tough for me to find where West Virginia was going to get the points because, and and frankly, for that matter, their I mean their defense is great, and the challenge against Oklahoma State for the Sooners was to survive their defensive front seven and the pressure that was going to come on Spencer Rattler. They they passed glowingly. Uh, you know, the offensive line finally showed up. There's only one quarterback hurry. There was just three sacks on 28 dropbacks for Spencer Rattler. But they'll face a different kind of defense now where West Virginia, they're not really a, a sack rate kind of team. They're more of a, a strength as in coverage. Uh, they're graded out first overall by PFF in pass coverage. West Virginia should have minimal success against Oklahoma's defense. They're top 20 in line yards, stuff rate, power success, Really fancy ways to say they're going to stop the ground game, anything OU puts down. West Virginia is ninth in defensive havoc. They can turn the ball over when needed. They can get into your backfield. They can force fumbles. West Virginia can't expose OU, uh, the, the defense of OU, and their worst attribute, which is rush explosiveness. If you want to beat OU, you need to have a strong rushing game. Boy, that's the theme of the podcast. Find me somebody that's got rush explosiveness and they can win the national championship. Um, I think points are going to be an issue here. West Virginia is eighth in finishing drives on defense. And West Virginia's offense is 88th in offensive finishing drives. That's a bad combination. And, uh, you know, if you want to take an over or if you want to take a team in, against the point spread, I think the number is spot on for the side. Uh, I'm having a really hard time finding enough points in this game for both teams. I guess we, we should, for the SEC folks, we didn't touch on – LSU, national champs, catching 14-and-a-half at Texas A&M, over under 62-and-a-half. Texas A&M, I, I forgot about them. And then all of a sudden, I see them in the college football playoff. They're ranked number five. Just, I completely forgot about them. I think they're, I don't know when the last time they played is. Maybe when uh, – I think South Carolina, the same night that Notre Dame and Clemson played. I, I just completely forgot about Texas A&M. They pop up number five. Uh, they're laying 14-and-a-half at home. Are they rusty? Do they name it here? What do you see? Yeah, I, I think one thing that you need to think about – when handicapping this game, because Coach O came out, it was the first thing that came out of his mouth. No, there will be no celebrating to beat Arkansas. They haven't beaten anybody in a long time. So uh, we're supposed to win that football game. There's no question about that. Coach O came out, and he talked about the crowd. Now, Kyle Field sits close to 100,000. They're only allowed to have 25% capacity. Do a little quick math here. There should be 25,000 people in the stands. Texas A&M has been packing the stadium. Dan Mullen estimated there was about 50,000 there for the Gators game. So Coach O said this is the first time his group of kids, which are all brand new compared to the national championship team they had last year, this is the first time they're going to hear crowd noise. I think that's a huge advantage for Texas A&M, one that's not being factored into the point spread. Jimbo did mention that there are 40 players that have been in quarantine for Texas A&M. Not that they've tested positive, but through contact tracing, they've had to go isolate. And he said it's been a lot of Zoom meetings and then, I don't know, asking them to do 
some CrossFit shit on their own, like in their dorm room. I don't know, but it's worth mentioning that Jimbo said that around 40 players have been in self-isolation uh, in the time since they last played. Now, Finley, the quarterback for LSU, he should have a little bit of success throwing here because we said this about the Florida game. Texas A&M's linebackers are listed at 240, but they're more like 260. They're built to eat up the run. They're not really built to stop the pass. Uh, Texas A&M's 96th in defensive passing success rate. No explosiveness. Not LSU, not Texas A&M. They have no explosiveness whatsoever. Uh, you know, and Texas A&M is 119th in pace. So there's a 60% chance of rain. Wind is going to be over 10 miles an hour. I think under 60 is the play. Not mo- so much because of the weather. I think it's just going to be a dink and dunk game. I don't think there's going to be a pass that goes over 10 yards. I don't think there's going to be any yards after catch, yards after contact, explosive plays. Just not going to exist in this game. I know both these two teams want to kick the shit out of each other. Hey, don't just be a f- support. Just keep fighting with us. We ain't quitting on you. Please don't quit on us. You know what I'm saying? There's no reason to be nasty. But I just don't see what we saw last year what we've seen out of this series, out of this rivalry before. So I'm looking at an under in this game. I think the side is, is pretty spot on, but I may get a play in on Texas A&M first quarter, first half, because you can't simulate the crowd noise that they're going to hear. They, the, these kids, all these fresh faces at LSU, they haven't played in it before, and it's going to be a, a new environment. All right, moving on to – we've got to get some action. We've got to talk some action because there is no weekday action on Tuesdays and Wednesdays anymore. And there is a really good game. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> a really good game that I'm excited. CBS Sports Network, noon Eastern. Kent State at BetMGM currently is a seven, eh, plus seven, minus 105. Seven-point underdog at Buffalo over under 67 and a half. I, I saw earlier you took some Kent State plus seven and a half. I took some Kent State plus seven and a half. I make this under a field goal. I haven't been that impressed with Buffalo's defense just from watching them. They were lucky in a couple games with turnovers. And the Kent State offense is just rolling, and they'll go really fast. The Buffalo, the one concern I have, because I kind of lean to the over, maybe you can, can convince me to get there. The one concern I have is Buffalo is a snail, but they should have success and hit a number of just huge explosive runs. Jared Patterson might have a couple 80-yard explosive runs. I think this is a shootout that goes down to the wire. Yeah, absolutely. I think the over in Kent State is the only way to play, but you would want to make sure and get Kent State at – Seven and a half or seven, considering I think this is the kind of game that just goes back and forth and could potentially end up in overtime. You would definitely want to have that touchdown in your back pocket with Kent State. Think about, I mean, Buffalo is not fast whatsoever, but they're extremely explosive, especially on the ground. So we'll start with the wind, uh, we'll start with the weather here. 15 mile per hour winds forecasted, but it's all going to be pushing through one end zone. So what that means is that for two quarters, uh, there may be just running in one direction by each team because they'll be throwing directly into winds that will be coming into their face. <laughs> oh, wow. You've got to be shitting me. <laughs> Should affect some of the field goal kicking also, but it's not like it's sideline to sideline. So that's something to keep in mind. It really, I don't think it matters because both of these teams have such high explosiveness when it comes to the rushing game and in the passing game. Both teams have a rush rate of at least 63%, meaning they run the ball way more than the national average of 54%. And both teams are at least 26th or better. They're 26th and 13th in ground explosiveness, which means at any point either team can take off. And we've seen Kent State. They don't like any time to come off that play clock whatsoever. They are up on the ball, and Sean Lewis wants that thing hiked. 
you're right, Jared Patterson. He's the home run hitter for Buffalo. Uh, Kent State runs at you know a tempo of 17th fastest in the nation. Buffalo is you know outpacing almost everybody in touchdowns on the ground thanks to Jared Patterson. Kent's 124th, almost dead last in defending rush explosiveness. So Patterson may have – I'd set the over-under at three and a half touchdowns that are over 40 yards. Uh, I mean, this is one of the worst defenses in Kent State, the flashes, at stopping explosive runs. That's not a good stat to be bringing to the table against Buffalo. Kyle Van Therese, he's going to have success in passing downs. Kent's 97th against pass explosiveness. There's a lot of ways here for Buffalo to score. Problem is, is Buffalo is 114th in tackling. They're 118th in stuff rate on defense, 121st in power success. Kent's a running team. Kent may never get off the field. Kent's going to be able to get any down and distance that they want. These teams are first and sixth in offensive finishing drives. I don't see how you can take anything but an over here. And like I said, Kent seven or better, get that in your back pocket. I think this is a shootout all the way to the end. It's got a probability of going to overtime. How beautiful is Maction? How <laughs> beautiful is Maction? Oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maction. Love it. Maction overs. By the way, I got to get a womp, womp, clown horn noise here. I think I'm good about the Kansas under. <laughs> finally trying to get one. What are we going to do with this team? Can we excommunicate them? Can we sign them up for, for BYU? I mean, that, that total is too high, right? They're going to lose like 40, 40 to nothing. That's but you, you, you've seemed to neglect the fact that they will spot the other team the ball in the red zone. <laughs> Mountain West, uh, San Jose State at Boise State. So, sort of an interesting game here. I want to fade Boise, but uh, I don't know if this is the spot or not. I just don't like the team, and I especially didn't like what they did. They were so lucky against Colorado State. There's just certain things I don't like about them. But they're laying 12 here. I bet MGM over under 58 and a half. Do you have anything here? Yeah, I actually love Boise State. I already took them uh, at the number that they're at. If it falls uh, more, uh, you know, then I'll, I'll take it even more. I, I like Boise that much. Boise returns from Hawaii, uh, you know, from their trip. <laughs> Crazy sending I've seen in a while. They were 33 to 9, did not cover that game. Uh, while San Jose State, they haven't played in two weeks. And the last time they did play, they beat UNLV 34-17 at home. Not really that impressive. Uh, head coach for Boise State, Brian Harrison, mentioned that the team is healthier than it's been in the past, uh, which is pretty important considering players on both sides of the trench have had to, like, switch jerseys, play offensive line, play defensive line. Uh, we've seen the Cade Finnegan kid play third-string quarterback. Jack Sears is still hurt, but Hank Bachmeyer is back. Uh, and, you know, Boise says this is the healthiest that they've been. Then I did a little bit of a deep dive on San Jose State. Look at the teams they've beaten. They have a combined three wins. San Diego State has two. Air Force has one. The rank of San Jose State's opponents passing attacks. And the reason why I bring this up is because San Jose State is posting some pretty good defensive numbers. They're, you know, they're fifth in defensive finishing drives. Uh, remember that game against Air Force where they were pretty good in the trench. And Nick Starkle is having some sort of rejuvenated career with his third college football program. With their passing attack, they're 16th in passing success rate, the Spartans are. So, you know, we're having this rejuvenation of Starkle. The defense is playing well. But then you go and look at the schedule and who San Jose State's played. You look at the rank of San Jose's opponents, San Jose State's opponents, and what their passing attacks are. The offensive passing attacks of UNLV, 95th, New Mexico, 88th, San Diego State, 94th, Air Force, 111th. Yet the Spartans, San Jose State, has a defensive coverage rate of just 49th. You would think facing the offenses of New Mexico, Air Force, San Diego State, and UNLV, your coverage rate 
rank would be a lot higher, and that's just not the case. Uh, the defensive pass explosiveness rank is 82nd against those offenses. That's not very good. So San Jose State, keep this in mind too. I went through a list of their roster. This, I, I got 97% California kids. There's a couple of them from Scottsdale, a couple of them from Texas, one of them from Kent, Washington, right south of Seattle there. This is, they're going to be playing in 35-degree weather. The forecast here is 35 degrees. With a roster chock full of California kids, this might be the first time they've ever felt that kind of, that kind of weather. Hawaii came back with Siobhan Cordero. I think that's really important because he's a dual-threat quarterback, and they run as many designed runs with him as they do scrambles. And Siobhan Cordero, for Hawaii, he gets all of his yards running the ball, and once he set that up, it's bombs away. And Boise State had to respect that the entire game. Nick Starkle for San Jose State is not Siobhan Cordero, not even close. Nick Starkle, I think, has four rushing attempts for negative six yards. I'm not sure if there's some sack yardage in there somewhere. Boise doesn't have to respect Nick Starkle in the pocket. They don't have to keep a spy. They don't have to keep four or five in the box and watch out. They can send three and drop eight. And I love Boise in this game. They're back home. Brian Harrison's been bitching for weeks about how he's got to play on Thursdays, Fridays, on the road, at Hawaii. I want to get back to my regular schedule of Saturday. Oh, and finally we're all healthy again. Thank God. And I tried to dig it up, but do you remember seeing an article where, like, the first time quarterbacks play on the blue turf, like, it really screws their eyes up? Like, it takes them, like, at least a half to get things going there. This is the first time anybody in San Jose State has ever played on this turf. I'm big on Boise, and I'm going to keep adding the more it falls. You're just excited to fade your boy, Nick Starkle, in his uh, (laughs) Bieber shirt. Well, I guess we got to cover the Pac-12 for the (laughs) Pac-12 talk, folks, Uh, for our Power 6 fans. Colorado at USC, at BetMGM. USC's an 11.5-point favorite over under 64.5. Two undefeated teams here. Colorado's 2-0, USC is 3-0. Any thoughts here? Yeah, you got to take Colorado here. You can't trust USC with a spread this big. Uh, I took Colorado at 13. I projected 10. I would take it all the way down to 10. Very impressive offensively against UCLA and Stanford. Sam Neuer, their quarterback, has the Buffaloes at fourth in pass explosiveness. Uh, but they're a run-first team. Uh, that, you know, I think they run the balls like 64%, which is way above uh, you know, national average. Of 101 rushing yards by Sam Neuer, 81 were on designed runs. So it's not like he's scrambling his way to these yards. They've actually got a quarterback that is a dual threat. He's avoided six tackles already. Pretty impressive for a quarterback nobody knew of a couple months ago. Not as much as Jared Broussard. He has 16 avoided tackles this year, and he's averaging 3.64 yards after contact. These are pretty impressive offensive numbers coming out of Colorado. USC defensively, they haven't fixed anything. They're 99th in tackling. They're 58th in defensive rushing success rate. Colorado's 12th in tackling on defense, and they're 23rd in defensive havoc. And all that credit goes to Carl Doral, the coach. We didn't know how he got this job. Uh, he was last in the Pac-12 like 20 years ago. And, you know, <laughs> and now he's doing a great job with Colorado. And, you know, they, they have, I think, real life in this game. With USC's being such a heavy pass attack, Colorado's got to improve in their coverage grade of 115th. That's what worries me here is – but USC has shown no life when it comes to the passing game. So I did a little bit of a deep dive on Kadon Slovis. What the hell is going on with Kadon Slovis? Colorado's not going to get any pressure on him, so he should fix whatever's going on. Kadon Slovis was never fantastic under pressure. He wasn't last year. And the pressure dropbacks have not seen an increase. Last year is like 27%. This year it's about 28%. 
His NFL passer rating is down like 20 points in non-pressure dropbacks, and it's down 10 points in pressure dropbacks. And so you say, well, why is that? Even in non-pressured situations, Kadon Slovis is worse than he was last year. Last year, Kadon Slovis had six throwaways the entire season and 100-plus dropbacks with pressure. This year, 41 pressure dropbacks, he has five throwaways. He has almost the same number of throwaways and a third of the attempts. Another issue is the drops. Last year, he had in 400 dropback passes. Slovis had only 10 drops from his wide receivers. In 100 non-pressure dropbacks this year, he's had five drops. He's had half the drops and a quarter of the attempts this year. Drops, throwaways. Not sure what's going on with USC in the air raid, but they are not in sync. Kadon Slovis, I don't know if it's just going to click and one day they're going to have it. I don't know if it's the two defenses they played. They know that they can rush three and drop eight. Uh, but it is not working between Slovis and his wide receivers right now. Got to take Colorado in this game. Yeah, some have hinted that something's off with, with Slovis's arm. He just doesn't look right throwing it, and is he hurt? I don't know. But, yeah, USC has been a, just a dreadful big favorite so far this year. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. <laughs> All right, first down, we normally do. Friday Night Lights. We already did that with Oregon-Oregon State, which is your Friday night game. So don't think that we forgot about you. For first down, we're going to the Triple C Dynasty. we got to talk Coastal Carolina. Roll f***ing chance, baby. Eight, no, number 16 in the country. They're like 16 and a half at Texas State. And your Bobs. The Bobs are coming off a upset win over my boys, Arkansas State. Luckily, I got them live, and they covered because of a missed extra point because I got plus three live. But Bob's missed an extra point for me. Brady McBride went crazy, but it was against Arkansas State. <laughs> Fucking defense is atrocious. Triple C Dynasty, are you fading them? It's the Triple C Dynasty versus your Bob's. The, What's going to happen here? Yeah, the Black Swarm defense. I, I don't think we're going to have a letdown here from Coastal. I think the number is pretty spot on. But Texas State still playing hard. Upset of Arkansas State. Could have packed it in. Spavadol's got them. Got these guys still coming to the field and producing. I think what's interesting is that – and I'm glad I was hammering the hell out of Coastal at halftime during you know that App State loss would have hurt a lot more. Coastal's not allowed a touchdown in the second half for four straight games. So keep that in mind. I don't know if you want to play Coastal pregame. But they are definitely a under or coastal side for the second half, considering what they are doing to teams in the second half. This just isn't a good fit. I've said this on and on and on. Coastal Carolina can be challenged and beat by teams that have a rushing attack. That's not Texas State. Uh, Texas State is going to be Brady McBride. They're going to be throwing as much as possible. They throw 53% of the time. Um, you know, that, listen, Coastal's 46th in coverage. And they rank 28th in defensive passing success rate. They rank top 10 in the nation in limiting explosiveness, pass explosiveness, that is. Brady McBride isn't going to get anything deep. Last time Coastal faced a team that was like this pass happy all the time, they beat Arkansas State by 30. So Black Swarm defense, 7th in the nation in sack rate. More of a second-half play. I mean, you can take them full game if you want. I just think at some point you're going to get a better number. But, yeah, Coastal all the way here, no letdown. All right, and for second down, we normally do our prices right. Segment, we covered so many games already. Let's switch it up. Go with the late night chaser. Saturday night, 11 p.m. Eastern on Spectrum Sports. Good luck finding it. 
we have Nevada and Romeo Dubs, my boy. After their big win to get to five and zero, seven point favorite on the island at Hawaii, over under sixty and a half. Whatever, what should everyone be betting here and sweating up till two two thirty in the morning like I did to get at the Hawaii back door in miraculous fashion last week? Well, sadly, Nevada is. Yeah, I talked all about Siobhan Cordero and how the offense is completely based around him designed runs, and that designed run is used to set him up for the pass. Uh, Hawaii's tenth in the nation offensive rush explosiveness, and that's all on Cordero. Problem is, is Nevada is fourth in the nation at stopping explosive runs. Uh, big piece of why they beat San Diego State, uh, able to keep them at 21 points. I mean, San Diego State's been rolling. Nevada did a great job there with them. Uh, and, you know, Nevada's ninth in the nation in, in defensive passing success rate. The number, to me, though, should be four and a half. And that's where I'm in a bit of a quandary with this. I think it's seven and a half. It's a game that I've got to play on Hawaii just based on numbers alone. So, you know, there's so much to like about Nevada here. I just think it's completely inflated because you got a primetime CBS slot. You won your game, covered the spread. And I think that plays a little bit into the number here, which opened it two and flew up to seven and a half. I think there's just, a, there's just too much bias here on Nevada for this long trip. Uh, I'm going to end up taking Hawaii late Saturday night. Can't wait to watch, try to find Spectrum Sports again. Love it. Uh, hopefully you get the same ref treatment. And if I join you, we get the same ref treatment as uh, I did last Saturday night. All right, before we get out of here, we have one last order of business. That's our underdog Moneyline Parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Have, we were having a good year. Last week, we lose two by a combined two points thanks to bullshit uh special teams georgia southern by the way averaged seven yards per play army averaged 3.6 went on a box why can't i get my field goal anyway we move on underdog money line parlay this week we're going with leach miss state money line they're catching 10 nine and a half at old miss will rogers who's my boy started last week against georgia and they finally found an offense uh, Rodgers went 41 of 52 for 336 yards and a touchdown. Really good numbers against Georgia for what they've been doing. And Mississippi State has a better defense. I think this will probably be a shootout. Ole Miss's defense is terrible. High variance game. I like what I saw from Rodgers last week. I'm rolling with Leach. I like it. And, you know, I was, I was contemplating Colorado. That's a pretty big one, pretty big dog there against USC. I was contemplating Kent, a game that I absolutely think can go to overtime against Buffalo. Buffalo has been lucky, but I'm going to settle on a team that I very much think gets it done, and that's going to be North Carolina. I think North Carolina's explosiveness on offense with Sam Howell is going to be too much for Notre Dame. I think a lot of people are feeding off the brand name win against Clemson when Clemson wasn't really Clemson. Uh, Chaos in the ACC. I'm taking North Carolina. Love it. Leach and the Heels. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love all your support. That's why we wanted to get this episode out a day before the holiday. So I hope you enjoy it. Hopefully we can win some money all across the weekend, starting on Thanksgiving. I hope you all have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, no matter how you choose to spend it. I did make sure you tell a friend, look, if you're going to see family or friends, tell them about the podcast. Or at the minimum, subscribe, unsubscribe, or just leave a review, five-star review. You'll get in the running for – it helps us, number one, but you also get in the running for some prizes. Uh, 
Look, uh, Tide Ferguson, hook him. Love to get my Fridays in the fall started listening to these long form guys. Listen to them ensures that I'll lose money that weekend in the most gruesome and horrific ways possible. Love that. Throw him a sweatshirt. And uh, Brave Galaxy Wolf, the, the best college football podcast around. The analysis banter is great. The voicemails are stuff's a legend. I've listened to these jokers since the gen and juice days, and my phone always on low battery, too. Love it. Send both them voicemails. Send both them sweatshirts. Maybe I'll send them something else. But appreciate all you guys. Enjoy the holiday. We'll see you on Twitter. Don't forget about the voicemail anytime over the next week. We will be back on Monday with a weekend football recap and review. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.